Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome back to another .NET on AWS show. Uh, my name is Brandon Minnick. I'm your host this week, along with James Easton. James, welcome to the Hello, show. Brandon. Thank uh, you for having me on again. <laughs> I was here with Francois a few weeks ago, and um, yeah, excited to be here with you today. Yeah, for for those who don't know, James is a uh, co-host filling in for Francois, who's out on well-deserved, much-needed PTO this week. And James, for folks who may may have missed that episode, and if you did, go back and watch it. But who are you and what do you do? Uh, yeah, um, so I'm James Eastham. I actually work here at AWS in the professional services part of AWS. So I'm a consultant out with the customers of AWS, actually helping them build things, which is really cool. But I kind of refer to it as like, by day, I'm a ProServe consultant, and by night, I am a .NET developer through and through. I do a lot of things with serverless, particularly. That's my particular area of interest. Um, so anything to do with Lambda or any of the other serverless AWS services, then that's probably where you will find me tweeting, YouTubing, LinkedIning, Inc., et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's my area of interest. <laughs> no, it's great. And yeah, and if, if you don't already follow James, make sure to check him out. You can find him at Plant Powered James. Uh, if you've ever seen cold start numbers for serverless around .NET, it probably came from James. So you'll you'll get a lot of good information. Uh, your uh, James's YouTube videos are top notch for uh, learning .NET on AWS stuff, especially around serverless. So yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> I've I've used it. I, I appreciate you. Uh, so we we always open the show with. Uh, announcements, things that are coming up on AWS before we bring in our, our super special guest this week. And so James, I'll go first. There's a, a big announcement this week for .NET developers, or last week, I should say. Uh, Microsoft finally announced .NET Conf. .NET Conf is happening. It's in November. It's November 14 to 16. And if you've been a .NET developer for a while, you might already know, this is when we get the new version of .NET. So every year... We get the latest release of .NET, which we have .NET 8 coming up this year, and Microsoft debuts it at .NET Conf, which they host and they bring on and they tell you uh, all the cool things that are in .NET 8. They bring on people to show you cool things you can do with .NET 8. So put it under calendars. I always make sure to block off those dates. It's November 14th to the 16th for .NET Conf. Don't want to miss it. It's the, one of the best parts about being a software developer is when you get... When you get free bits. <laughs> I'm really glad I've joined this week because I actually missed that announcement. And I knew, and, you know, it's always in November sometime, isn't it? So I'm going to go straight away after we're done here and block that away in my calendar right away because it's a cool conference. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're also looking for um, uh, community speakers too. So if anybody out there wants to submit a, a talk beyond .NET Conf, um, I've done it in the past. It's really cool. Highly recommend it. Uh, you can check out the blog post that I'll post here in our in our chat, but James, what's what's new with you? What what announcements do you have this week? Yeah, I am going to bring the serverless love today, um, and a shout out to an AWS community builder. So it's a gentleman called Lars Jakobsen, um, and he has built this super awesome CLI called Sam Plus. So if people aren't familiar, there's a there's a whole toolkit we have at AWS called the Serverless Application Model or SAM. Um, aside from having a really cute mascot, um, it's a CLI for doing lots of things with your serverless applications, and it's awesome. 
Now, Lars has extended that with a bunch of additional features, and one of which that he has launched, tweeted about, passed my way this week, is local debugging support for Lambda functions running in the cloud. So what that means is that you can run a... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So you can run a CLI command locally. It's SAM, SAM P is the CLI, SAM local. Get that up and running, and then you can hit hit F5 in Rider or VS Code or Visual Studio, whatever it is you're using. Set up your debugger, hit your Lambda function in the cloud. So that might be API Gateway. Hit your Lambda function, and you can step through the code locally in your IDE. Now, it's very much still in preview. Um, I'm sure Lars won't mind me promoting it, but it's, it's very much in preview and he's looking people to look at it. Um, it's a super cool experience. And one of the really cool things is when you're debugging the code locally, it uses the same permissions that the Lambda function would have in the cloud. So it is, it is like you are running the function in the cloud, but it's running from your machine. It's a really cool CLI. Um, I don't know if you've got the link there. I think I sent the link to you, Brandon, if you want to. If you want to post that in the chat, if you haven't already, um, sure. So yeah, if you're doing things with .NET, and um, I will pop it, I'll pop it in the chat, and then we can share it in a, in a few minutes. Um, but yeah, if you're doing things with serverless and .NET, um, or if you're not, if you've tried it and got stuck with that development debugging experience, then that CLI is super cool that Lars is producing. So I'd highly recommend checking that out. Yeah, I'm I'm super impressed. Um, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but my first question is just, how did they do that? Ah, yes. So I've actually spoken about <laughs> this. Um, so what it actually does, so you could never, you could never really do this in a production environment. Um, but what the CLI actually does is it replaces your Lambda function running in the cloud with a different Lambda function, completely different Lambda function. Um, and then it sets up our MQTT connection between your local machine and this Lambda function running in the cloud. So the, the the request comes into API Gateway, triggers your Lambda function, which then isn't your Lambda function as in your .NET code. It's this custom code that the CLI has added, which pings the request down this MQTT pipe. That hits your local CLI. You step through the code. The response goes back. The response goes back up the MQTT pipe, back into the Lambda function, and the response gets returned to the caller. So, yeah, you couldn't really wow. do it in a production environment, um, but it's super cool. Um, it uses another AWS service called IoT Core, which provides MQTT at scale. Um, so yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, I've used it. I've tried it. I wrote the instructions for Rider and Visual Studio for how to set it up. So if it doesn't work for Rider or Visual Studio, please don't shout at Lars. Come and shout at me because I wrote <laughs> the instructions. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a really cool CLI for, for, for debugging Lambda um, in that wow. cloud-like environment, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's incredible because... Yeah, that it's always that's what always happens anytime we're working with anything in the cloud, really, where it works fine on our machine, then we publish the code to the cloud, and all of a sudden it's not working. And mm-hmm. and yeah, like how do you how do you debug it? How do you step through your code? How do you mm-hmm. see if is it even your code? Um I was I was just fighting that this weekend. I've I've got a couple apps in the app store. For those who don't know, I'm a I'm a mobile app developer. Um, so I do it all in C sharp using Xamarin and Donet Maui and, and yeah, I just, I hadn't updated the apps in a while. So I was going through and I had to fix something in my serverless backend and yeah, it was just like, okay, well do I, I'll put in some log statements and mm-hmm. I'll look at the logs and I'll see if I can figure it out. But yeah, everything's so much nicer with a debugger just 
but just step through the code, see that we see what the variables values are. Uh, so incredible. Well, thanks so much, yeah. James. Thanks and so much, fit, Lars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it fits really nice as well. You know, whenever I talk about testing and .NET and serverless, the the common line that always gets rolled out is like unit tests locally test everything else in the cloud, and that can get a bit tricky sometimes because then it's in the cloud, and like you say, you need like tracing or log statements or all this stuff. Whereas now you've got that in between, you can put it in the cloud and get actual cloud resources, but then also have that semi-familiar debug experience. So yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like you can test it out um, before well, before pushing it to production. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, yeah, even if you have something in production, you can spin up a um, another let's say developer environment, QA environment, and and use this in there. Wow. Well, I could spend all day talking about that, but we have a we have a very special guest today. Um, we've hinted at the AWS toolkit already. Uh, he works on the AWS Toolkit team specifically for .NET and Visual Studio, which is why we wanted to have him on the show today. And we we're so excited. Uh, please help me welcome Ralph. Ralph Flora, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. It's uh, good to be here and talk about uh, the toolkits, uh, particularly the Visual Studio Toolkit. But um, you know, uh, we do have a host of other toolkits for Visual Studio Code and, and JetBrains to use on Rider. So there are those as well, um, depending on what your IDE is of choice. Um, Love it. Sure. Yeah. Bef- before we before we dive too deep into in all the toolkit awesomeness you got for us today, Ralph, uh, for those who haven't met you before, who are you and what do you do? Sure. Um, well, I'm, I'm Ralph Floor. We already introduced that. Uh, I've, I've been at AWS. Um, actually, the end of this month will be 10 years. I've, I've had quite a run for various services. Um, and quite honestly, uh, the early in my career, I did .NET exclusively from you know early 2000s on up to about 2013, starting at AWS. And then suddenly everything changed, uh, working on services and, and kind of moved out of the .NET world for a while, um, built some services. And then uh, about a year and a half ago, I decided, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit um, interested in, A, kind of doing something different, maybe going back to .NET. And um, also maybe doing something different than services because I've been doing that for a few years. And um, so I joined the toolkits team um, and started working in the Visual Studio toolkit. Love it. And and so you mentioned you've you've been in Amazon for 10 years now, which I heard a joke the other day. Um, somebody almost equates it to dog years. So that's like 90 years at Amazon equivalent. But uh if we go way back, uh, how did you first get into C Sharp and .NET? Sure. Um, it, it was actually back when I was an undergrad. I was I was working at a, a business that was building out a, a system in ASP. Um, and at that point, .NET 1 was coming out. And um, we were having some challenges organizing the, the, the application we were building, um, just kind of due to ASP and some of the limitations it had. Um, so we, we kind of adopted ASP.NET as a let's try it and see situation. And um, even even in the first version, it was it was much more effective at putting the application together. So um, that's kind of when I got started was uh, when it first came out. I was like, hey, this is this this might work for us. And it did. Um, and then from there, um, I, I, I did some more ASP.NET. Um, and then uh, I started to work at a company that was doing a desktop application for I- internal use for their employees. But uh, that's when I first got into WPF. Um, it came out around that time. Um, 
the application had started in WinForms, and then when WPF came out, it was kind of like a whole new new world to take on um, with being able to kind of meet those requirements that customers were asking for for the UI. Because while WinForms was great, it, it had some limitations at times that you know customers would ask for something and you couldn't really achieve what they wanted um, without a significant amount of um, work that may not have been worth it. Um, oddly enough, from WPF, uh, I did a second application there that um, needed to be web-based, and that was around the time Silverlight came out. So um, we thought we would leverage the skill sets of the engineers at the time in WPF to move over to Silverlight. Um, I think we kind of all know how that that, that went down, <laughs> but um, the Silverlight app did, did, did what it was supposed to, and it wasn't necessarily going to be a long-lived um, application either. So the, the fact that um, it, it survived as long as Silverlight did was great. Um, from there, I went back to the ASP.NET world. Um, and around that time, um, Xamarin was just kind of coming into its own as far as getting um, UIs working on, on mobile, particularly uh, iOS. Um, so that was really kind of the last thing I worked on before um, I came to AWS. Um, and then I've kind of been away from .NET for a 10-year period. So it's, you know, it's a very different landscape now uh, for .NET. And more interesting with the Visual Studio Toolkit, where I primarily spend my time, um, it's it's kind of a, a time capsule. Um, <laughs> the technologies you use to write uh, a Visual Studio extension, you know, there's there's a long history there, um, and some of there's even you know old C code in there that um, you don't necessarily interact with. But you know, um, there's a lot of technologies that are kind of legacy that you still use to write extensions. So it's kind of um, having to leverage the breadth of of knowledge and experience I've had with .NET the whole time um, to be able to to work with it. Wow, that's incredible. Um, and and for some folks who might not know this, uh, you mentioned you were doing ASP, uh, but I assume that's before ASP.NET, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. This was the old um, ran on IIS application server pages, um, like extension they had for IIS. Um, it was BB script, basically. Um, that you use to generate HTML pages. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I don't really have to work on it anymore. But um, it was oh, how far we've come. <laughs> right, and and that's kind of why ASP.NET was like a, a huge boost in productivity on that project was because the organization of those pages. You, if you were not really super careful about how you put your application together, you, you could get out of hand very quickly. So it was just like scripting top to bottom. Um, you had little control over the flow um, and, and communication between components and things like that. It was, it was tricky. And, and speaking of components, you would then potentially have to write like in VB6 com components that ASP would communicate with. And it was, it was a mishmash of um, technologies that people achieved some cool stuff in the late nineties with, but um, <laughs> I, I was glad to leave it behind and start on .NET when that came out. Yeah. That's, it's so wild to think about that uh, going way back, um, cause yeah, nowadays, if somebody tells me that they're still supporting, let's say ASP.NET, but for, uh, .NET framework, I'm just like, Ooh, oh, that's, mm. that's such old technology and that must be so painful. But yeah, I'm sure there's still some OG ASP apps still floating around there before <laughs> ASP.NET days. Oh, incredible. Well, so Ralph, you, you've mentioned the the toolkit a couple times that you, you work on the team that we have support for visual studio, visual studio code, JetBrains writer. Uh, but what, 
What is the toolkit? Uh, so the, the toolkit is kind of we a place where developers kind of meet AWS from the development standpoint. Um, you know, it's as hopefully um, some of the listeners have, have worked with AWS and understand kind of how you work. Um, a large majority of customers interact with AWS via the console, the, you know, the web console. You go in and it's very much kind of a crud-like interaction. Um, and it's it's okay. Um, and, it, it, you know, you can get everything you need done that way. Um, or you might use the CLI, for example. A lot of, a lot of customers do that, particularly uh, if they're fans of scripting. Um, versus going in and managing things by hand. Um, but the toolkits kind of give our customers an alternate method of being able to, you know, meet that part of AWS they're going to be working with right there in their IDE and not necessarily have to jump out of their IDE and go work on something elsewhere, you know, to get resources set up or whatever they might be doing or um, kind of like we're talking about debugging on Lambdas earlier, just checking um, configuration settings. You can kind of do that without having to actually like get up and leave your IDE and come back. So you helps you stay kind of in place and working where you are at um, to be able to achieve what you want. Uh, the other thing the toolkits do um, is some of the more popular services. They kind of offer workflows that you might use as a developer that don't necessarily exist in the consoles themselves. Um, a, a really popular function as far as workflows go of the toolkits is being able to deploy software. Um, so, you know, as a customer, you, you might be writing code all day, but eventually that software has to hit uh, somewhere on a EC2 instance or in a Lambda or maybe in an ACS container or something. You have to get it out there. Um, and so we have um, deployment experiences that customers can go through and deploy to these various targets within AWS. And basically it just takes your solution and your projects, bundles them and deploys them out. Um, obviously, you have control over the configuration and what settings you might want um, as you're deploying. Um, but you know, it basically gives you a, a very easy way of getting your code out there and running very quickly to um, be sure it's running and working properly and see it running in the cloud. Um, I don't know if you've ever um, done this by hand. Uh, for example, James mentioned SAM. There's, there's a few variations of SAM that have existed over the years. Um, but you know, you might have to go out to a CLI and, and do some manual bundling of things yourself to get that deployed. Um, or if you're you're really white knuckling it, you may go to the console and just do the upload directly. Um, you know, I'm not recommending these are ways to do this, but uh, you know, th that was how people might have deployed in the past. Where it's through the toolkits, you get this you know experience where you can actually do the deployment through the toolkit. Um, and a really big one that we had come up last year um, as a feature we released was called Publish to AWS. Um, and we had previously had for Visual Studio Toolkit um, ways you could deploy to Lambda and Beanstalk and uh, ECS and Fargate. Um, but they were kind of um, older experiences and they were more designed for um, the more let's just get it out there and working kind of kind of crowd. Um, whereas now the published AWS is more of a curated kind of process where maybe you don't know this is your first time deploying to AWS and you don't kind of know what to expect or what your options are. It kind of handholds you through it without being obtrusive. It's not like, you know, slowing you down necessarily. You can just say, I'll take the defaults and go. But um, it really kind of gives you a really nice experience of being able to walk through and see what your options are and figure out what you want to do. Um, and then if you decide, you know, hey, I deployed that and it's not really what it wanted, you can always bounce back and just kind of you know, tweak some of the numbers and settings and, and do it again um, until you get what you want. Um, so that's been a, a really popular feature for customers is, is that deployment process. 
Am I right in thinking that's that feature also that it spits out some kind of like config file, right, that you could then use as part of a CI CD pipeline? Is that is that the same feature that I'm thinking of, or is that the deploy the the, the, the .NET deploy tool? Um, it is the deploy tool. Um, it uses that AWS uh, .NET deploy tool, and if you might have seen the GitHub um, project for that. Um, it does use that under the covers. Um, so technically, you could go out and use whatever features that has um, beyond it. Um, we don't necessarily push customers towards going out and doing something separately. Um, you know, if they've been doing it in the toolkit, we tend to keep them in the toolkit. Um, yeah. But yeah, you could you could use that tool underlying tool if you wanted to as well, and, and it basically achieve the same thing. The tool, I don't know if you've used it. It's kind of cool, like it. It will walk you through through a regular, you know, STD in, STD out kind of terminal interface, but it walks you through um, what do you want to do, and then it starts asking you questions, and, and you can respond to it. And it, you know, you're not left searching, um, you know, for 500 different arguments you have to put on the command line to figure out how you're going to deploy this thing. Um, yeah. It it does it for you. Yeah, I always like whenever whenever I look at these, you know, toolkit and, and I do you know, the, the Visual Studio toolkit's awesome. I think the first time I ever deployed a Lambda function, I did that through the toolkit. But I always look at like what's the off ramp, like um how many developers and hopefully few listeners who are like deploying to production right click from Visual Studio, because I know I've been there <laughs> and that's certainly a twitchy experience. So is is there is there an off ramp? Like is there a is there a um way listeners could go from you know right click publish to AWS and then take that to a to a CICD pipeline for example um not necessarily something that they would have in there right now to do so um that is kind of a space we're looking at though because um you know internally within Amazon and AWS we're we're really interested in having that um kind of configuration as code and deployment as code um experience and um we would like our customers to to do that as well for the same benefits that we see it's because you you have everything always recorded and you know what went out every time there's a history of it and, and you can follow it um, and it's repeatable you don't have a human following a script and, and, and humans can go off script um, so that is kind of a space we're, we're looking into improving upon as well with the deployments is you know how can we take where the developers have gotten on board with deployments within the toolkit and then actually make it more repeatable and kind of take the human out of the equation to make it easier on them and just make it more safe in general. Yeah, and it's it's such an important point because you know, well, what I always hear is don't don't right click publish. Like there's a there used to be a saying, friends don't let friends right click publish. Uh, but but for being honest, we all do it, uh, and it's typically the the first time we deploy, we'll always, well, at least I always <laughs> uh, just right click publish uh, because, yeah, the Visual Studio Toolkit makes it so easy to do so. And you don't have to, yeah, like you were saying earlier, Ralph, you don't have to open another window. You don't have to go to your browser. Uh, you can just do everything from right in, in Visual Studio. And what I found that workflow is, is always the fastest, the easiest for me. Uh, so I'll just, Publish from Visual Studio using the toolkit, and then yeah, once once we get this thing up and running, once we push it to production, whatever we're working on, um, certainly that's where yeah we we gotta have our CI/CD pipeline like James was saying, and that's where we'll do everything from the command line. But uh, but yeah, to get up and running, uh, I'm I'm Visual Studio toolkit, AWS toolkit for Visual Studio <laughs> first all the way. Uh, do you? Do you see a lot of that, Ralph, um, from other customers when you speak to them about the toolkit? 
Um, we do. And, and as you said, like friends don't let friends publish that way. However, <laughs> it, it also says something when that's one of our biggest and most popular features is to be able to publish that way. Um, so people do it, um, for, for various reasons. And, um, you know, and there's different size customers too, right? Um, you know, if you're a smaller customer and, and you have a, a, a smaller system, you, you might be comfortable with that approach and you might be able to do it successfully. Um, you know, whereas if maybe you're a larger customer and you have more controls over your deployment process that, that may not be allowed, you may not have permissions to even do that. <laughs> um, and, and that is kind of where you cross the line and you start looking at things like code pipeline and code build and, and other options. Um, and, and a lot of customers, you know, in .NET, they're going to use, um, GitHub features as well to do their kind of builds versus maybe what's, what's available on AWS. But, um, we do have all those options. Um, as well as we, I, I kind of want to bring this up. There's, um, you may be aware of a product that was released recently called Code Catalyst. It was a, a really cool kind of experience for individual developers to be able to come in and build on AWS without having to kind of do all the things that are required to set up that maybe a, a, a larger enterprise might do, like, you know, go get your um, account set up and get all your payments squared away and then figure out like what all kind of resources and budget for it and all that. And it kind of lets you get started more quickly. And um, the other toolkits actually have some very advanced, cool um, integrations with Code Catalyst where you can launch on a managed development environment and, and build with an IDE on a remote system. So maybe you need more horsepower to build, or maybe you're just working in a company where they don't want you running on your local laptop or, you know, the various reasons, but you can basically just launch um, into a cloud-based uh, compute and, and start building on your IDE. Um, unfortunately for the Visual Studio toolkit, Visual Studio doesn't work in a remote fashion that way. Um, so we we aren't able to provide that same kind of experience. Um, but for Code Catalyst, uh, we've, we've kind of made some inroads where we can. And so one of the places for the Visual Studio Toolkit, for example, would be um, you can connect to a Code Catalyst Git repo. Um, and, and it goes through the Git provider just like you would for GitHub or um, Azure or any of those others. Um, and it basically brings your code right into the toolkit for you. Um, so the, uh, I, I kind of want to bring up Code Catalyst just because that was a cool new feature that came out, and I'm not sure how many customers are aware of it yet, um, and they might want to check it out just because it is kind of that full development experience. Um, and whether you're using Visual Studio Writer or Visual Studio Code, you'll you'll have an experience with Code Catalyst. Yeah, very cool. Uh, I I didn't know that myself. Uh, so so when you're saying the the AWS Toolkit can just connect right to um, our our code catalyst uh, our code in code catalyst uh, is that how's that working is that just git underneath the hood doing uh, git pulls and merges and commits it, it is for visual studio it, it, it literally is um, git um, and, and if you've ever you know been in visual studio and click the git menu and clone a repo that whole process that's that's what we're able to do today for Code Catalyst um, in Visual Studio. However, the the other toolkits, Writer and Visual Studio Code, do have that immersive experience where you can have that um, online cloud IDE that you can build from. So, if you are building something insanely large and your laptop is, you know, the fans are running full tilt and you just can't really get the productivity you need, you always have that option uh, with those. But um, as Code Catalyst is evolving, and we'll see more and more out of it as um, you know, this year and in the next year, um, there are other features um, 
that kind of make it that full development experience. Um, one of the more interesting ones coming up for, for me, I think at least, would be kind of like the issues and task management that's coming up with it. Um, and that's probably an area that we would build in support as well, so that when you're in your IDE, you can actually interact with your issues and tasks rather than, um, once again, having to hop out and go deal with a separate website or something of that nature. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, very cool. So, you know, nowadays it seems like the the whole world just wants to talk about um, artificial intelligence and machine learning models and things like uh, like ChatGPT or or Code Whisperer. Um, what's what's the visual tool? <laughs> what's the AWS toolkits uh, plan for uh, bringing these in? Like, so for those who don't know, AWS has uh, uh, Code Whisperer, which is our uh, this AI helper <laughs> to help you help you write your code. And I know for me, if that was there in, in Visual Studio, writing my code for me alongside, it'd be super, super powerful. Um, but I don't think it's there yet. Is it there yet? Um, it is currently not yet in Visual Studio. Um, and I mean, as you know, generative AI has been super huge, obviously, throughout the industry. And, and the same within AWS. It's, you know, very... Um, big up and comer and kind of a driver of what we're working on. And as you mentioned, Code Whisper is kind of a big part of that, um, at least from a developer standpoint and, and the coders out there that what they would be interested in. Um, and you can experiment with it today, but yeah, we don't have it built into the toolkit just yet. Um, so I would say this is a keep an eye on this space kind of thing, because as as Amazon is kind of rolling generative AI out into a lot of different products, um, you can expect to see it you know, in the toolkits eventually as well. Um, and particularly the other toolkits too. Um, so not just the Visual Studio, but if you're a developer using those other IDEs, um, you can look there as well. And, and you will have that Code Whisperer experience. Um, basically type your code, you'll get suggestions, and you can kind of tab your way through it and write code. Um, hopefully mostly correct code, right? Uh, <laughs> as it gets better, all correct code. Right. Feels nice. like one of those things. It's like okay, but but not too correct. Like I still I still want to have a job. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Don't don't write all my code for me. But yeah, I will say like for things for things you don't want to do or maybe don't want to read the docs <laughs> for. Which uh, if I'm being honest, for me that's that's a lot of things. Like well, I'll mm -hmm. I'll just figure it out. I don't, I don't need to read documentation on it until I can't get it working, and then I go back and read the docs. But um, yeah, that's where I feel the biggest value is going to come from, uh, from tools like Code Whisperer is, you know, let's say I don't know anything about ASP.NET Core and I spin up a new project and I start editing some of the code. And if it just tells me how to do it, or if I ask it <laughs> like, Hey, how do I handle a authentication token? And it just writes that code for me. Great. Because <laughs> yeah, now I don't have to dig into Stack Overflow. I don't have to start asking Google how to do it. I don't have to find a random blog post by by James that shows me how. <laughs> I have so, the perfect use case for this. I can never, I can never ever ever remember how to convert a memory stream to a string and a string to a memory stream in .NET. It just doesn't <laughs> stick. Never never has it, never will. I'm just never gonna remember it. And it's just so we just just to be able to do that in my IDE and not have to remember it and go finding the same Stack Overflow article every time. Yeah, that's going <laughs> to be a lot of value in stuff like this. I should really just bookmark it, keep it in my bookmark toolbar. Like, here it is, go to it. We'll find it every time. So, yeah, I completely agree, Brandon. Like, that, that stuff like that, where you're just super handy to have this little helper with me to just remember this stuff for me. Yeah, uh, we have 
uh, Aaron in the comments is saying, like, don't read the docs. Reminds me when I was a kid, tried to assemble a toy. Yeah, I broke the toy. It had so many extra pieces. So yeah, that's that's going to happen. Um, but what if you had somebody to assemble that toy for you? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've started using uh, services like that for also things I just don't want to do, like unit tests, you know, we're... As as good developers, we all write our unit tests, but nowadays she's like, oh, what if somebody just did that for me? <laughs> <laughs> well, another great space for it would be, you know, AWS has like over 200 services now, I think. Uh, I've, I've lost count, honestly. Um, and there's no way you're going to master all of those and know all of those. But um, being able to kind of get the fundamental code to interact, because they all have unique APIs. And as you pointed out, you have to go read the docs for everyone. Um, you know, just having, being able to generate how to interact with all those various services you might encounter would be, I think, a huge win, uh, just because you don't have to go figure out, like, I'm going to go spend a few hours and figure out how I need to work with this service. Um, yeah. If you just kind of give me some code and I can edit it from there, that would be great. Although I, I, I used ChatGPT for something for a, for a personal project recently. Um, and I can't remember which AWS service it was, and it just completely made up an API. So it followed the same pattern, like, bloody, 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 bloody insert your region here and then it just completely made up this api call i was like huh okay so maybe we're safe for the minute like you said brandon just about <laughs> correct but not not quite correct you know yeah like when i when i used chat gpt to write some unit tests uh there were like the the idea was there you know i, I could tell what it was going for but yeah certainly like the code wasn't something you could just plug in and compile um and especially around the doing like task-based stuff if they sync it away that that really just broke <laughs> broke the brain of uh of chat gpt um so so james we've got we got ralph on the show i was a ralph works on the aws toolkit um what would you say your your favorite feature of the toolkit is Ooh, good question um i think one thing i use it for a lot um and i will confess i'm mostly a writer person um, but when I do use Visual Studio, it's having options in terms of the getting started experience. So obviously I do a lot of work with Lambda, as I've talked about, and to I've got an existing project, I've got an existing solution, I'm already doing things with Lambda. I can go file, new project, and there are a whole bunch of different um, getting started templates for how to do things with Lambda. And they're all packaged in with the toolkit, right? Now, this whole getting started experience, the family project. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, just uh, the same way you would go create any project in Visual Studio, you know, file new, and then you can pick. There's even, in fact, when you're filtering out, you can pick um, AWS as, as one of your options um, from your targets, and then you get all the AWS templates that you might want to use. Um, as you pointed out, there's quite a few for Lambda. Um, there's a few for CloudFormation and uh, a few others as well. But um, yeah, th those get you started pretty quick on how should I lay out my project? What sorts of files should I have? Um, and, and it's definitely helpful for customers rather than having to kind of take a stock off the shelf or maybe even empty project out of visual studio and try to figure out like, how do I build all this up to make this work? Yeah. And I really like as well, the, the, all of the visual studio templates I've used at least all have examples of unit tests as well. Again, the, with the Lambda projects, but you get this whole, you get your source folder, you get your tests folder, you've got the Lambda function with whatever of the options you picked. It, the unit test project references it, and there's a sample unit test, like that whole experience coupled in with the right-click publish. You know, as far as a getting started experience goes, you know, your, your hello world Lambda, fun Lambda function, if you will, like it, it, it 
brilliant. Right? It's, it's great for getting started. And, and, and the toolkit kind of even goes beyond that with, you know, the built-in project templates that might be in Visual Studio. So like maybe you make an ASP.NET project uh, and then you're like, well, where do I want to host this and how do I want to deploy it? That's, that kind of goes back into the publishing that we had talked about. Like you can just take that ASP.NET project that you built, you know, standard default off-the-shelf ASP.NET um, solution and project and just deploy it. And you can put it onto a Linux host or whatever you want to do. Um, and so you, you kind of, the toolkit ties into some of those existing features that are already in Visual Studio as well. And you do get, you know, more usage out of the whole breadth of templates that you have uh, that come with Visual Studio, not just the AWS ones, but, you know, you can use AWS with some of the previously existing templates as well to do cool stuff like deployments or whatever you might want to be doing. Yeah, yeah, super, super helpful stuff. And yeah, that's, that's something else I I also recommend to James is, uh, is not to go on too much of a tangent, but I feel like the AWS toolkit is kind of like one of the best kept secrets about uh, AWS, um, certainly for .NET developers, but for everybody, since everybody can benefit from this. And yeah, I always feel like uh, when I bring it up or when I mention it, people are like, oh, wow, that's so cool. I, I didn't even know this existed. <laughs> so I, I love that we're we're helping to get the word out because yeah, the the toolkit is so... It just makes it makes life so much easier as a as a .NET developer, as somebody who's familiar with Visual Studio, as somebody who's hosting all their stuff in AWS. Yeah, and you can just you can just do it all from the IDE. Um, so, Ralph, I'm curious uh, what what are the or to as much to the extent as as as, as you can share uh, what, what's the upcoming roadmap look like for for the AWS toolkit. Um, well, kind of as we talked about, there's those, you know, everybody wants to do generative AI, so that, that will certainly <laughs> be in the, the, the roadmap. Um, there are features, um, you know, we don't generally like to talk about new features coming up until they've you know, been announced. So um, there are new features. The one thing that would that I would say to customers in general, though, is reInvent comes up every year. Um, and, and reInvent is the big AWS conference at the end of the year where all the new services are announced and all the big features on services. And um, so if you've, you know, if you've ever been, you know what I'm talking about. If not, it's, it's the biggest conference all year for AWS. And it happens in you know, late November, early December timeframe. Um, and that's, that's usually whenever you kind of see the roadmaps. Um, well, the, the rubber beat the road for the roadmap there, because that's when a lot of launches come out for the year. Um, plus, you also get a lot of detail on what might be coming out in the next year. Um, and you might see previews of things at reInvent. So that would be a place I would say always keep an eye on for people that want to see what's coming out. Um, and, and, and that also includes things like, you know, that are tangentially related to the toolkit, like Code Whisperer, Code Catalyst, and, and the other code tools that um, AWS have. Um, because as as those features come out, you can pretty much bet that the toolkits will start tying into those features as well. Um, and, and you'll have those available within your toolkit and within your IDE and not necessarily have to jump out to a CLI and learn it or jump out to a console. Um, but yeah, it, so that's unfortunately really all I can talk about at the moment. But um, like I said, it's keep an eye on reInvent because that's the biggest time of year to find find out what's coming and and what new features are coming out. Right. Our pre-invent as well, as it seems to be popular to becoming a thing, is late September, October, start of November seems to be pre-invent season where these things start. I remember last year there was there was a couple of things that were announced before reinvent that were huge. And I'm like, 
what is coming at reInvent? If yes, pre-invent, yeah, I don't know exactly. <laughs> if this is coming in pre-invent, what is coming at reInvent? Uh, so, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Rob. That, that's that's the place place to keep an eye on. I like that because because yeah, reInvent is just huge. Um, mm. I got to go for the first time last year. I had just recently joined AWS in late September, um, so I wasn't I wasn't here long enough to um, necessarily. Uh, get even get a ticket <laughs> but my manager is still like you you gotta come you just gotta come see this mm-hmm. uh he's like uh and, and don't tell anybody but he let me borrow his badge so i could sneak in and, <laughs> and and check it all out but yeah i i speak at a lot of conferences um it's kind of part of the job i'll get invited to um give talks at conferences around the world but reinvents the biggest conference i've been to by an order of magnitude, it's just, it's giant. It feels like it takes over the entire city of Las Vegas, like spanning all these different um, conference centers at the different hotels. It feels like everybody's just there for reInvent. So highly recommend it to anybody who hasn't, hasn't been, mm-hmm. go check it out. <laughs> it'll I think, it'll I think blow your mind. Me, I think what did it for me last year, like you said, the scale of it, but then the, um, the, the Thursday night after party. Um, and and Martin Garrix is is headlining the after party. You just just think, what what? <laughs> this is a yeah. tech conference. Like this is this is crazy. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. That that party was crazy. Um, mm. I've also snuck into that last year. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I think I think this year I'll actually I'll have a ticket. But but no, I lo- I love that Ralph. I love the uh a little little bit of a tease so stay tuned for for reinvent for the upcoming announcements and yeah we'll have to have you back on the show after to to show off show off some of the things um can you talk about what what you're working on now what you're working on today if that's if that's Uh, not a new feature coming at reinvent of course Sure. Um, yeah, actually what I'm working on today I'm 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 literally kind of just finishing up a project right now. Um Hopefully it, it should be available, um, you know, in, in, in the next few weeks. Um, and it's kind of uh, one of the areas we wanted to improve on the toolkits was kind of customer interaction and the user experience. Um, for example, the, the Visual Studio Toolkit has been around for quite a number of years. I'm, I'm not quite sure that it was written in 2008, but I think the first version of Visual Studio it supported was 2008. Um, that was, that was long before my time, even at Amazon. And, um, so it's, 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 you know, it's had a, a good long run, but in that time, you know, it's, it's as, as new features are added, there's, you know, older features that kind of don't change that much. That's, you know, typical software. Right. And, um, so we were kind of looking at some areas of, you know, where can we improve that, that user experience, um, with the toolkit so that users are more happy with it. Um, and, and one of the areas that we're working on right now is kind of that getting started experience. Like when you first load and start a toolkit, like, um, I don't know about you, but like when I install an extension and try to use an extension, if there's not some kind of immediate gratitude, like within the first minute or so, or I can't find where in the IDE that extension even pops up, like where, where does this thing live? I usually give up and just uninstall it. And I'm not going to bother with it at that point. Um, cause you know, it needs to make your life easier, not, not, a challenge just to figure out how to use the toolkit. Um, so that's kind of one of the areas that we're working on is like, what can we do whenever customers first come into the toolkit, particularly customers that may be new to AWS as well. Um, so not only are they having the hurdle of like, how do I get this toolkit to work, but what am I even gonna do with it? What does AWS do for me? 
Um, so we're kind of looking at spaces where we can improve that user experience. Um, one of the areas though that um, users have problems with is getting kind of their credentials set up. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever tried to figure out like all the different possible options AWS has for credentials and getting signed in, but it, it keeps expanding. Uh, like maybe aware that like IAM Identity Center came like out recently um, as kind of a, a rebranded, revamped new way of um, handling SSO. Um, and then uh, with Code Catalyst, there's kind of a, a single sign-on option there called AWS Builder ID. That's that the whole thing where like you can come to AWS and you don't even need an account and you can just start building stuff and using resources. Um, so with all these different kind of credentials and, and ways of managing them, it's it could be really tricky and a daunting task for customers to figure out like what am I even doing here? How do, how do I even get logged in to start working? Um, so we're working in that space on like, how can we get you started more quickly? Like you, you probably have gotten credentials from an admin or it's in an email to you or something like you, you know how to get logged in to some degree, but how do you get, you know, from that email and into the toolkit and started right away. Um, so look for some new user experience around um, getting started with the toolkit. That's, that's, that's kind of the project I'm working on right now that's wrapping up. Um, and, and with that, um, I, I kind of alluded to it before that um, like Visual Studio is kind of the SDK has a legacy of, of you know, older technologies when you're building extensions. So WPF is one that you would use in there. And um, I, I don't know how many people actually use WPF these days, but like, you know, things like uh, Maui, I guess, have roots in it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you might be familiar with it from that standpoint. Um, but there's there's been some kind of like interesting solving problems that you know for technology that's been around since i think it came out in 2006 maybe with um windows vista i'm trying to remember this has been a while <laughs> um, you know and it, it it was a pretty solid technology then um and it's it's held up pretty well over the years but like there's been some interesting problem solving that um you know even after a, a good 20 years almost that it's been out that you're, you're still solving. Um, but that kind of makes it fun working in the toolkit too, because you're, you're, you're not necessarily working on the same product. Well, let me say not in the toolkit because customers using the toolkit, they don't have to worry about all this. This is, this is all shielded from them. This is just building the toolkit as an extension, a visual studio extension. Um, you know, you, you kind of have these interesting problems you're solving that have been solved at some point in the past. Sure. Um, but they're kind of different than what most customers are solving today. So it's, it's an interesting challenge working on the toolkit from that standpoint or working on an extension um, in Visual Studio from that standpoint. Um, but yeah, be looking for those kind of user experience improvements coming out um, and also be looking for, you know, those kind of generative AI features coming out um, in, you know, over time. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited because... So oh, go ahead, James. Okay, cool. <laughs> I think there's something I'm really curious about. Like, yeah, the Gen AI thing could be interesting, but I guess what I'm curious about is, is there a feature of the toolkit, Ralph, that maybe is used less than other features? Maybe a hidden feature that not many people know about that you think is really cool or really interesting, but but maybe doesn't get the the, the, the quite the same um, um, front and center as like the published AWS, for example. There's there is kind of a, a cool feature I think from it's not necessarily a feature but maybe an area where this toolkit can help you out. Um, back when I started AWS ten years ago, EC2 was kind of the big way you had compute. You know, that's if if you wanted to get compute in the cloud, you had an instance. 
Um, and, and since that time, you know, now we have quite a, quite a number of services that get you compute. You Lambda, as you mentioned, James, you're really like Lambda, um, ECS and Fargate to get you those container-based compute services. Um, so a lot of customers, and there's even one called Beanstalk that a lot of customers use, and I, I forget to mention this from time to time, but it's kind of having like, you know, you want to just get a website deployed and you don't want to worry too much about all the various resources and stuff you need to set up. Beanstalk does that pretty well for you. Like it sets up what you need. Um, so a lot of the customers use those features. Um, but I think kind of the cool thing is there are EC2 features within the toolkit um, that customers that want to work on EC2 as a compute can still get to and work very effectively with EC2 with. Um, so it's it's kind of a cool thing that I think gets forgotten about with all the new types of compute that people are focused on. But if you're still building on EC2, and it's still a very valid use case in a lot of a lot of ways, um, then you you still have those features there for you. It wasn't like a, a forgotten um, thing. It wasn't removed from the toolkit or anything of that nature. Like you still have all the compute options you had in the past and they, they're still functional for you. So I think that's probably one of the cool things is you can regardless of what you're working on, you can still kind of get back to the older computes and still have a functional, like, you know, experience working with it. Um, so, so sometimes people, you know, I, I'm sure you've worked on projects where you got a technology and you're like, oh God, because it's, you know, it's <laughs> something that you, nobody maybe supports anymore, or there was never great support for in the first place. And you just have to use it. So, you know, having those nice extra features still there and supporting you is, is it always a good feeling? Yeah, I think that's super important. Like, like I said, as much as I am, you know, I, I love serverless and I love Lambda, but yeah, there's still a whole raft of people out there, one of which was me before I joined AWS, who's still deploying things to servers and managing instances and things like that. So I think that's a really, really, really cool call out. Of, like, you've still got all these options in the toolkit, in your IDE, to be able to work with some of these. Right. Is legacy the right word? <laughs> Can we call it legacy? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Older ways of deploying applications, let's say that. I mean, there's there's still new instance types coming out every year. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's yeah. still a very viable and and um, great option to go with, depending on what you're doing. Yeah. Oh yeah, and especially if you have things on prem already, then these, but what we think of as legacy services, since uh, we've been in the cloud for for years now. Uh, personally, uh, yeah, if, if you're coming from, I had a server and a data center at my place. Um, What's the easiest first step to get that into the cloud? Yeah, EC2, spin up, just spin up a server. And now that server, instead of living, you know, behind the wall in your data center is just down the street <laughs> in a cloud data center. Uh, but yeah, I, I would certainly push if, if I was working at a company like that, uh, you know, all right, let's get, let's get in the cloud, you know, reliability, disaster recovery, that'll mm -hmm. make things easier, but yeah, maybe maybe someday we split this up and <laughs> maybe go microservices into serverless. But but uh, yeah, you definitely want to have have those onboarding paths. And that's so cool, Ralph. That everything's still supported. And so I'm curious does the does the toolkit team have a policy on on support like that? So like for example, if if a technology gets deprecated and let's say. <laughs> no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say it. I was going to say, let's, let's say easy two goes away, but that's how rumors get started. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what what is uh, the AWS Toolkit's policy on, on that? Will it continue to support those services until those services no longer exist? Um, 
Yeah, and, and kind of to take that to a bigger level, I'm only aware of one service at AWS that's ever actually been away. <laughs> that's a that good was, point, too. <laughs> uh, simple database service, and that got replaced by DynamoDB. Um, so the, the services never really go away. There was a one called Cloud Search. Um, I don't know if that one's still around. But really, there's very few services that ever go away. They always have, um, you know, they may not see innovations um, if people are no longer adopting them, but usually they're always there for customers to continue to rely upon. Um, so even with the toolkit, you know, if, if you had a feature there, um, we wouldn't remove it unless there were, you know, there would have to be a really good reason, like, you know, maybe a security violation that was unfixable. I, I can't imagine what that would even be. But, um, you know, we're, we're not going to take things away from you, particularly if you've already had them. Let's take that same question. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, just take that in a slightly different direction. That with Visual Studio support, like, does it support only Visual Studio N, for example? Like, what version of Visual Studio can they get the tool? Twenty-two. Yeah. <laughs> right. That was that was kind of where I was going to go with the next. Ah, so, okay. um, Visual Studio, um, uh, it tends to be the the most recent version and the prior version that's supported. Um, and, and some of this kind of depends on how long that version of Visual Studio itself is supported. Because um, if it's not supported, we can't really support an extension for it either. Because um, we, we wouldn't want to put you at risk um, if you're not getting support from the underlying hosting IDE. Um, there are, however, you know, if, if you are working on projects or you, you maybe work at a company where you have to use older versions of Visual Studio for some reason, um, there are still the old toolkits available for the prior versions. I believe back to 2013 is still available. Oh, wow. um, it, it may go back to 2008. Uh, I, I haven't actually looked on the, the marketplace. I, some of there, I think there's a couple that aren't actually on the marketplace. But if you go to the AWS Visual Studio Toolkit page, there's links out to all those prior versions. I mean, be aware those those versions have not been updated for a number of years because. <laughs> You know, they've been sunset, but the toolkit is still available. So if you do have to work on an older version of Visual Studio, you do have those toolkits available to you um, that can hopefully make your life easier if you're having to work in Visual Studio 2013. Um, yeah, so that, that is an option. Um, but yeah, typically it's the most recent too. Um, and we kind of do that too because we want to keep kind of a high bar for the user experience and the features that we can take advantage of. Um, so we, we try to keep as up to date as possible. Love it. And, and Ralph, we've only got a couple minutes left. Uh, time flew by. So thanks for, thanks for joining us today. Uh, so for folks who want to get started with the toolkit, uh, where should we, where should they go? You shared this link with me before the show. Uh, we have github.com slash AWS slash AWS dash toolkit dash visual dash studio. Is that the best place to start? Um, actually there's, there's. The actual AWS page, I can get that for you very quickly. Um, yeah. So there is the AWS page itself. Um, and that's kind of the, the main landing page where you would want to come into for um, the Visual Studio Toolkit in general. Uh, like I said, that has the links out to the various um, older versions if you wanted. It has the links to the current version. Although if you're wanting to get a current version, just go into your Visual Studio extensions uh, you know, manager search AWS and you'll see the toolkit pop right up and you can install it directly from the IDE. You don't need to go to the marketplace. Um, but that that website also has the links out to the docs. So there are the AWS docs. If, if your generative AI is not reading them to you yet, um, you can read them yourself. Um, so those are some really good places to start uh, with the toolkit. 
Um, and also the, the first one you had, the GitHub link that was on there, if you encounter issues with the toolkit, um, we're very active on the issues list there as well. So, um, you know, should you run into problems, we can jump in and help um, and try to resolve what the issues might be. Good to know. Well, well, Ralph, uh, for anybody who wants to stay in touch, stay tuned, uh, where, where can they find you online? Um, well, you can find me on GitHub on Flow Ralph. Uh, that's where I usually, um, that's, that's where I'm making my um, commits. Um, right now, the AWS toolkit for Visual Studio is not open source, but if you're curious about the other toolkits and, and how they're built, um, the Visual Studio Code and the JetBrains, so Rider, um, those are open source and you can go check those out. Um, and then I'm, I'm more of a lurker on Twitter than a, a poster. So um, you got Ralph on Twitter. I'm, I'm on there, but um, I do not post frequently. <laughs> so you might find me on there. You might not. No worries. Well, thanks for coming on the show today, Ralph. Really appreciate it. James, thanks for stepping in for Francois. And okay. thank you. Thank you for tuning in and joining us for another episode of the .NET on AWS show. We'll be back in two weeks. We stream... Same time, same channel, twice a month. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss it. And we'll see you then.